You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season three, episode 14. At our recent The Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, Makers and Mystics hosted several live Q&A panels with the artists and speakers of the event. One of the topics we discussed from these sessions centers around honesty versus propaganda and the creation of risk-averse art. As I listened back to the ideas from this discussion, I felt it was an important dialogue to continue with the larger Makers and Mystics community. One of the challenges for belief-based artists is to create from a platform of integrity without becoming an echo chamber of popular consensus or adopting views and practices which are fueled more by the need of acceptance and the fear of rejection than authenticity. The artist of faith carries a responsibility both to honesty and also to community. It's important that we walk in the fullness of artistic freedom while at the same time never losing sight or sensitivity to the effect our work has on those who engage our creations. Take a listen to the conversation, and if you're part of the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective, you can add your thoughts to the discussion in our private Facebook group. And if you'd like to own the audio downloads of this and other keynotes from The Breath and the Clay, you can order those on the store page at thebreathandtheclay.com. This is our live conversation on honesty, propaganda, and the temptation of risk-averse art. Yeah, welcome to my living room. Just gonna have a little family hangout time this morning. What do you say? I want to invite my guests up for our first panel. So if um, Mr. John Mark McMillan would like to come to the stage, yeah. And also Mr. Josh Reebok, if you would like to join us, yeah. And we got a new friend that wasn't here with us last night, but Mr. Michael Wilson, yes. And then lastly, my good friend Vesper Stamper, holding it down for the feminine voice. Yeah, come on. So the topic or the theme that we wanted to kind of center around for this panel is the role of honesty in artistry. And what is our responsibility as artists to be honest in our work, you know? And I think that that's a question that a lot of us have is what role does honesty play in art? And uh, are we responsible to be transparent with who we are and with what we're creating? And how, how, you know, because art making is such a vulnerable place. It's like, you know, no matter what art form you do, it's like you're just putting yourself out there, you know? And so I just wanted to talk with some of these guys. All these guys are movers and shakers in their own realm. And um, I'll just start with this, John Mark. Why do you think honesty in art matters? Um, thanks for starting with me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had your maker coffee yeah, yet? Man? I'm going to say something that sounds smart, and then these people are going to make me sound dumb. But no, I think, 
I think art, I think honesty and art matters for a number of reasons. I think, first of all, honesty is about the only thing that makes art interesting. You know, I don't, I mean, and maybe it's just from the way I see it, um, what I'm looking for in any, uh, in, in, in any art form is sort of like another person. I'm looking to see another person in any sort of art form. And so if you remove honesty, if I don't feel uh, a sense of honesty or um, you could use the words vulnerability or if I don't feel like I'm uh, experiencing uh, the expression of another person, then I sort of tap out. It just sort of becomes uh, background for me, you know? And so for me, first of all, honesty is important because that's what makes it interesting or even worth doing in my, you know, perspective. I think also honesty is really important because um, we kind of live in a world that's sort of drunk on itself. You know, we live in an echo chamber culture where if you want to gain influence with people, um, you do it by telling them things that they already believe. You know, um, that in itself isn't bad, especially if you already agree with them. You know, but there's a lot of temptation to uh, soften the edges in order to be accepted, you know, or influential with certain groups of people. But uh, the problem with that can be that you end up also reinforcing all the negative things about that culture at the same time, you know. And so even if you're wrong, I think you have, I don't want to say an obligation, but maybe an obligation to be honest to at the very least challenge the echo chamber culture that we live in, you know? It's really good, yeah. So I, I'll relate it right back to my book, which is, you know, when you're studying the history of Nazi Germany, um, a big part of that is understanding the nature of propaganda. And as an artist, you know, like there's a, one story is that in the Terezin concentration camp, um, which was where they sent all the artists and intellectuals, they had an artist bureau. And by day, these artists were making propaganda for the Nazis, and they were making like plans for the beautiful building projects that they were gonna do in Terezin. And it was under pain of death to go along with that narrative. But by night, they would be drawing the realities of their situation, you know, and that's where they got to be honest. But it was like, if they were caught doing that, it was the end, you know? But those artists literally risked their lives to tell the truth, you know? And I, I think that, not to put too fine a point on it or draw too fine of a line, but it's like, well, the, the choice is you can tell the truth or you can make propaganda. Your choice, you know? What would you say the difference is between art and propaganda? Open, start with you, but anybody that wants to answer that. Let me think about that first. <laughs> In my extensive propaganda research, <laughs> um, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. However, I think sometimes as an artist, I have to fight the urge to be liked and accepted and realize that oftentimes my role or my responsibility as an artist is to be a provocateur. And oftentimes that comes with honesty and it, and it means risking rejection. Um, the other thing though that comes to mind in all of this is a scene from the movie Walk the Line. I'm not sure if anybody has viewed this ad nauseum as I have, but there's a scene where young Johnny Cash goes to this recording studio for the first time, and he walks in, and he and his two clueless musicians behind him, they start playing this old-timey gospel for this record producer. 
and they don't get four bars in before the record producer looks at them and he waves them off to stop. And he goes, you guys got anything else? And uh, Johnny Cash, played by Joaquin Phoenix, you know, with his very like sneering Joker lip, looks at him and he goes, well, what's wrong with my gospel? And the guy looks at it, he looks at him and he goes, I don't believe you. And so I would argue that as an artist, what actually impacts people is not honesty, it's believability. Because the truth is, any of us can be full of crap. And nobody out here really knows. But what impacts people is when they believe you're being honest, whether you are or not. And so to me, the question becomes not, what does it look like to be honest? It's what does it look like to be believable? And that's the danger of propaganda is that it's believable whether it's honest or not. And so as people, we need to, like, this is where as receivers of art, we have to do a, I know you said no profanity, so I'm really trying hard not to. (laughs) A good man. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Just give me one second. Um, I'll do it off mic. But this is where we, ha- I think as, a, as someone who ingests art, I have to remember that art is a democracy always. And when I make something, I invite whoever ingests it into the meaning, right? And so as receivers of art, we have to decide whether or not we are going to believe it or not. And it's oftentimes the receiver's job to determine whether it's honest or whether it's propaganda. I might not even know that. I could be propagandizing without even knowing it. And sometimes it demands an audience to go, Josh, I might love you, but you can be way more honest than this. And so that, that for me is the art of believability, not just the art of honesty. That's great. I think, how you guys doing? I wasn't here last night. I'm here now. What's up? Um, I think... What's beautiful about that, because the whole time I was sitting here and why I appreciate honesty in art is it because it gives us permission. It gives us permission to cry. It gives us permission to be upset. It, it gives us the ability to see what it is to be open and honest. So when someone's, you know, when it's not authentic, you may not always be able to tell, but it won't give you the same invitation to discover you. Have you ever noticed when someone sings a song that's honest and you love it, you start singing it, even if you know the words or not. You'd be like, don't know one word, but you're like, that's my favorite song. But it's the honesty in it. I don't know any of his songs that, and he just wrote half of them right now, probably on stage, but I sang along the entire time, made up my own words, my own verse. But there was something about it that was so honest that led me to want to express who I was. And so honesty in art is essential because it gives way to our identity. And if you uh, give someone permission to be who they are, which no one can be the same person, Now we're actually changing culture and building a world and through that allowing us to fail. We can look at a movie and say, it's okay that you messed up because in this movie I saw they they got it together and hopefully that will inspire you to get it together. So that's my number one reason why I appreciate honesty in art is it really gives us permission to find who we really are as an individual. That's good, yeah. Josh, you you said something uh, and you were talking about how the audience really decides. 
And I think that's really interesting to me because I've been studying some of those old school French surrealist artists from the 1920s and 30s that you guys, a lot of you guys probably don't know. But uh, this controversial artist, Marcel Duchamp, he's just, I've just been studying him and um, all, all those guys from that time period. And, and uh, Duchamp had this idea that the audience was actually participants in the creation of the work. And that offended a lot of artists at the time. They didn't like that idea. They thought, we present the work, it's complete. You judge it or, or dismiss it. But his idea was that the artwork is completed by the audience. And so all art becomes collaborative between the viewer and the creator. And we talked, uh, one of you guys said it as well, on the heels of that, that art requires risking rejection. And so what would you guys say on that? Like, so do you think that the audience is part of your creative process? How do you see that? I think it's two parts. As far as rejection and being creative, like I don't care about anyone's opinion. If I'm creating just to create, I'm creating just to create. The difference comes down to when I'm creating for intention or a job. I work in the industry and I have to choreograph a lot of different things and meet different requirements and needs. What you would make up for a commercial is way different than a live show and is different than like the dances I used to choreograph at church. They're all very different. So in that respect, you have to take into consideration your audience because also the beautiful thing about art is that it's not selfish. It's, you, we create to give. God created to give us something, you know? And so when I create, it isn't just for myself. Sometimes it is, and I know the difference. But when it's for someone else, I have no problem embracing the humility it takes to take the rejection, to take the feedback, to take the opinions of others and say, maybe I should try that. It's out of my realm. It's not what I normally do. But if it will have true impact from my honest heart, even if I needed to go through rejection, we would still create something Awesome, yeah? I sort of see art as fellowship. You know, art is fellowship. Is almost anything you do, if, if you're not doing it for someone else, you sort of imagine other people seeing it, and at least you see it, even if it's fellowship with yourself or God, right? But all art is an attempt sort of to not be alone, right? And so that requires risk, because anytime you offer something of yourself to people, there is a chance that they will not accept your invitation to enter into your narrative, right? But the problem is if you stop doing that, then I, I think you lose the believability. I think you lose the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation and a meaningful sort of fellowship you know, with people. And um, you know, they say no risk, no reward. You know, you see the classic, like, you think of the classic example of the young guy with the guitar throwing rocks up at his girlfriend's window, hoping he's not going to wake her parents, singing her the song, right? It's because risk, the amount of risk often communicates uh, how passionate you are about the story that you're telling, right? And so I think you almost can't uh, remove risk from the equation. You remove somewhat of the value sometimes when you try and remove all risk from the equation, you know. I want to ask you one pointed question, and, uh, and this just deals particularly with creating art in the context of communities of faith. And I know that a lot of times things that are unfamiliar, not just in communities of faith, but in all across the board, sometimes things that are unfamiliar to us are rejected before they're received, you know. And a lot of times if we don't understand something immediately, we push it out. 
And I just wonder, even in your own creative process, because I know a lot of your worship and a lot of the things in your earlier artistic journey was really embraced on a worldwide level. And I know in more recent times, you've been venturing out into some amazing new territory. And just to say, I love where you're going, but do you have something to say into that of, of like that risking rejection to be honest and, and to go where your journey has led you now from where you were? Sure. I think, I mean, for, first of all, the risk makes it exciting for me. You know, I, I don't, I, I get bored, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you know me, I'm, I get bored with things very easily, you know, um, and, and so the risk, you know, like the honesty, or the, the, I mean, they're one and the same, right? In a lot of ways, the risk and the honesty are the same. That, that keeps me interested in what I'm doing. But also, you know, and I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, and I obviously don't have time to elaborate, but if you think for a second that as communities of faith, if our lead line for so long has been, join our team or you will burn forever, mm. right? right? Then what type of people does that attract? Just that basic statement in general, right? <laughs> It attracts a lot of anxiety-ridden people. You know, it does. And I'm not joking, it attracts a lot of anxiety-ridden people and it creates an anxiety-ridden culture. And so faith culture tends to be dominated by anxiety because it's, it's drawn so many people based on that one lead line, right? And so what happens in an anxiety-ridden culture is you also create risk-averse art. Right? The result of an anxiety driven culture can be risk aversion. And so, most of the time, when I think about the work that, you know, represents sort of the modern expression of church, I think about highly risk averse work. You know? And especially when you look at the Bible, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, the, it's pretty heavy, <laughs> it's pretty risky. And so I, that gives me a lot of courage when I read scripture. I realize I have a lot of permission to say and do a lot of things inside the, the faith community, you know? But I mean, that's sort of my take on why I think that a lot of our work is, is what it is, is because it is born out of a risk-averse culture. And I would really love to challenge that. I think that would be an exciting and worthy thing to do with my life. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. Um, so I was trained as a commercial artist, right? So as opposed to someone who were making work for a gallery, I was trained to consider my audience and consider whether what I was communicating was accurate and like, you know, clear. I never anticipated um, creating work for teenagers because teenagers always kind of scared me, even when I was one. But what I now feel about my audience I mean, growing out of that training is like a huge sense of responsibility toward the people I'm creating for. And I don't think that everything we create, we've said this before, like I don't think everything we create has to be made public. Some of it is just process for us. And um, I really weighed whether to say this or not, but there was a poet who decided that a Christian family gathering would be a great place to unleash like a vile pornographic poem in front of children. And that opened a door in my own home that was extremely damaging. And we had to do a lot of cleanup. And, and I, I wanna kill that person, frankly. And uh, this was a professing Christian. So I feel very fired up about this kind of thing that artists have to recognize that it is not, you know, we get mixed messages, right? We get the, the, the church message, which is line everything up in a very neat little package and prop up the regime. 
And um, on the other side, from the, from the more you know, worldly part, and that's the definition of, of propaganda for me, is propping up a regime. But um, from the other side, it's like, you're an artist, be free. Everything you have to say and do is valid and awesome. And we're under the gaze of God, and so that's true. Like, he sees everything we do and think anyway, so you might as well explore it. But then you gotta think about other people, because it's love God, right? But it, then it's love your neighbor. Absolutely. So. That's amazing, yeah. It, context is very important, Yeah. you know? And I, I agree with that, just in my own convictions, I think that context is it. But that leads to a question that I wanted to ask you guys, and it's kind of a two-point question. And the first part of the question is, how important is character for you guys as influencers? as people who are shaping culture, as people who are shaping the minds of teenagers and the people that are listening to what we do, because you know, some of the accusations against communities of faith or, or artists and or people of the Christian persuasion or whatever is hypocrisy. You know, Put on your church face and you tuck what's really going on inside of you, but at the same time, you know, we're all a mess and we're all in process. That's why I gave us permission to be in process yesterday. It's because we are. <laughs> so what, you know, walking the line between that and being sensitive to context, I think is, is vital. But I'm, I'm, and I'm curious if you guys can give me a 30 second, one minute answer, each of you. What, why, is it important for you as an influencer and as a culture shaper to have a character of integrity or to be aware that you're influencing people? I'll make this real quick, and I just want to address all of you, okay? Artists, I'm going to tell you something shocking. You don't want to hear it, but you're not special. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to break it to you. But in a sense, okay, you're no more, let me put it this way, you're not more special than anybody else. Okay, you have an assignment, you've been gifted to do something, so do it, right? But the church needs you because art is a prophetic calling. And artists see things that, you know, other people in whatever they're gifting sometimes don't see. And it's necessary. Like Stephen says, you know, all the prophets were performance artists, right? But also, artists, you need the church. I'm sorry to say it. You, you know, you need to deal with the disgruntledness and the offense and all of that. And I'm not saying it's not real and even valid sometimes, but like, don't dissociate from the body of Christ, okay? You may not like the capital C church, but the church is precious to him, you know? And we, we, need, we, need, we need the people to speak into our lives. Like, we can't be islands. Like, the most dangerous and wounded artists are those that kind of just go off and drift on their own out of offense. So um, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's all I got, dance. Um, for me, character is absolutely everything because before I'm an influence, quotation marks, before I'm a choreographer, before I'm a dancer, singer, songwriter, author, whatever, titers, exactly, titles we add, I'm a child of God. And uh, I always tell people right off the jump, I'm just a normal person. When I'm invited to events, I like to, I couldn't yesterday, but I like to show up the day before as a normal person and just connect with people. 
and then they discover what I do because I'm not what I do. I am who I am, and what I do is just a vehicle. So if my character is not intact, my vehicle is going to be raggedy, and that's all I have to say. Good job. <laughs> that's the dance. That's good. My need for approval leads me to not care about character nearly as much as my art a lot because it's easier to be told I'm a person of integrity or told um, I'm loving or gracious than to actually become those things. And so I have to, I, I struggle with that uh, a great deal. And, and I think where I performed a, a great disservice in my own life and where I still, I feel like I'm trying to get out of is I feel like whenever the language, um, whether, you, whether we label it a calling or whatever, whatever God wants us to do, like that kind of end of the conversational spectrum, I feel like that conversation was predominantly architected around job. Job, God's calling for you. What's God's calling for you? And now, now we're gonna talk about our jobs. And for me, I feel like I have, I feel like I'm, I'm such an adolescent catching up to an adult's life of going, God's calling is more about my character. It's about the man I become, not just this man who does things. And so I have to come back to that and have a much more three-dimensional grasp and engagement of what that language of calling means and engage it as if it's three-dimensional, um, all worthy of my time and energy rather than calling is my craft, you know, writing, and then I'll squeeze character in when, you know, space allows. That's good. Awesome. You know, Jesus tells the story of, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about building your house on the rock, right? And he says that building, on the house, building your house on the rock means putting the words of Jesus into practice. You know, and so I think my number one aim in my life is to do that or not just to do that, is to cultivate a life of doing that. You know, um, loving my neighbor, forgiveness, those type of things. And so I see, I see art as fellowship and as the outworking of who I am as a person. You know, and so I do agree, if, if art is fellowship, then context is really important. And the conversations you have with different people will be different based on context. You know, but I do believe that the work I do is a result of who I am. You know, if I'm, in my mind, if I'm doing my best work, I'm, I'm laying myself out on the, in the song, you know? And so I, what I want to do is if I want to influence that song, then my goal is simply to influence myself and then allow the song to speak of what's going on with me. But your character is eminently important. It's the reason. Maybe char not character as much as spiritual transformation is the reason yeah. we're alive, right? It's to become who we are. Yeah. You know, the God-sparked image that we are created to be, right? You know, and that's the, that's the journey. That's what it's all about. Yeah, you, you got 15 seconds. I only need 10. Uh, one. <laughs> okay, don't start counting. Um, no, but with that being said, you have to understand that character becomes your pillar. 
um, you don't always get to just work for yourself. You work for and with people. I work with a ton of artists, a ton of different directors, and there's a certain song already there that I didn't create that I still have to work with. So your character allows you to take even something that was a little bit dark and illuminate it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsors and patrons at patreon.com slash makersandmystics, as well as Matt Tommy at matttommymentoring.com. It's hard to believe, but we only have one more episode left before the closing of season three. That means we've done over 45 episodes of Makers and Mystics, and I still get the sense that we are just scratching the surface of the discussions we're having. And so in our season finale, I'm gonna be doing a look ahead at what's to come and sharing some of the changes and some of the exciting news that we have coming down the pike for our Makers and Mystics community. I look forward to seeing you in the near future. Take care. If you'd like to partner with us in the production of these podcasts, you can join our community at patreon.com slash makersandmystics.